Hello and welcome to Unorthodoxy. I'm Duncan Rayburn and I want to talk about love. Yep, you heard me. I'm going to talk in this episode about love. It may seem like a kind of weird topic to even bring up, um, especially since it's such a commonplace notion and surely everyone knows what, what love is. I mean, we use the word all the time. We love people. We love God, country, hamburgers, movies, and so on. It's just this this word that's part of our everyday vocabulary. And um, and I think sometimes we, we just, maybe we need to look at what we're actually saying. And many of us, of course, um, will know what love is because we've read C.S. Lewis's brilliant Four Loves, which, um, by the way, if you haven't read that, it's a really good book um, to get your brain thinking around this the subject. But if I ask you to take a moment and give me a quick definition of love, what would you say? Should I give you a moment? Well, basically, that's the question I asked myself. And then, then I realized that what I would say is, well, pretty much what I'm going to talk to you about in this podcast. So, Obviously, I, you know, I kind of always feel that I need to offer about a billion provisos to what I'm going to say. I'm definitely not going to be able to solve love for you. <laughs> um, I would need at least a book to kind of go into the real kind of depth that is necessary for, for a, a thorough understanding of topic. And, and even then, I don't think I'd be able to solve what love is. But um, I'm hoping that at least what I say here may spark a few thoughts and maybe hopefully it'll change your perspective a bit or at least get you to to think about your own relationship uh, with love but also your relationship with the world a little differently. Uh, Because no matter how we think about love, I think it matters that we that we sort it out and and if this podcast is just a tiny blip on the radar of trying to understand the notion or or this the reality of love then I think it's a good thing. I feel that that love is a particularly important topic uh because I observe in the world around me that there is an awful lot of pain that people experience and often that pain is caused by a misunderstanding of the nature of love. The screenwriting expert Robert McKee's got this really amazing book called Story. McKee says that it's tricky. Um, we, we live in an age of moral and ethical cynicism, relativism and subjectivism. And this basically amounts to a great confusion of values. And McKee notices that it's because of all of this stuff that we don't know what love is. It, who can define the nature of love, he asks. Families disintegrate. Divorce is on the rise. Bad marriages stay bad. Our relationships between kids and their parents go from bad to worse, to terrible, to unbearable. And a lot of this, all of it maybe, is because I think we have made love into a kind of idol. Um, in our culture without necessarily first understanding what love is. So, I mean, obviously, love started out as being subordinate to God. God's nature was defined as being love. And so, in some sense, when we're talking about love, we surely are talking about God. But something goes horribly wrong when we make love into God, but without understanding what 
what the nature of love is. So, so what is love? Well, that's the question that I typed into Google because Google knows everything. Of course, I know it's a search engine. It's just going to bring up like facts. But what I did is I, I typed a, you know, define love into Google. And the following answers popped up at the top of the screen. One, love, this is as a noun, is a strong feeling of affection. Two, love, also as a noun, is a, a great interest in something, as in the phrase, I love football. And then three, love, as a verb this time, is to feel a deep affection or sexual love for someone. These are not, I mean, I think even if you listen to these definitions, you must on some level go, I'm sure there's more to it than that. But definitions do give us a kind of feeling of, of how a word is commonly understood. Wikipedia, by the way, doesn't do very much better than this. Um, it begins with the following words. Love is a variety of different feelings, states, and attitudes that ranges from interpersonal affection to pleasure. It can refer to an emotion of strong attraction and personal attachment. Okay, again, I'm going to get into why this is problematic in a, in a bit, but what is good, at least in this Wikipedia um, definition, is that it acknowledges that love is multifaceted. And that's true. Uh, so one of the more fun things you can do is look at the Urban Dictionary. The most popular definition of love there is, Love is nature's way of tricking people into reproducing, which I'm not, I'm not sure if this definition is popular because it's funny or because people think that's what love really is. It's never really that easy to tell when you look at Urban Dictionary. Um, the second uh, definition on Urban Dictionary, second most popular, is this. Love is the most spectacular, indescribable, deep, euphoric feeling for someone. Now, definitions, as I've said, are, are basically an indication or reflection of the popular stance on whatever it is that is being defined. Um, and so that's, definitions do not get to the essence of a thing. They just tell you what most people probably think about it. And so right at the outset here, we have a problem. The first thing that is said, and I think it's pretty widely accepted, is that love is a strong feeling of affection. In other words, love is a feeling, but that's not true. In fact, maybe maybe I'm going to be controversial here, which isn't my intention, uh, but controversy basically means that I'm going to go against the standard version. Um, but to be honest, I think the only way to move forward is to first acknowledge that what I think to be really obvious, which is that love is not an emotion. Surprise! <laughs> um, love is not how you feel about someone. Anyone who has ever loved anyone deeply will really know this, at, at least at some level. You can feel immense anger at someone, for instance, and it's even possible to feel like you hate someone and still love them. This is what Carla McLaren says in her remarkable book, The Language of Emotions. It's a, it's a beautiful exploration of, of empathy and emotion. And, and this is a psychotherapist who says this. So I think it's, it's significant um, the way that she deals with 
um, what love is. And she says this, when an emotion is healthy, it arises only when it is needed. It shifts and changes in response to its environment and it recedes willingly once it has addressed an issue. When love is healthy, it does none of these things. If emotions repeat themselves endlessly or appear with the same exact intensity over and over again, then something is wrong. Yet real love is a steadfast promise that repeats itself endlessly through life and beyond death. Love does not increase or decrease in response to its environment, and it does not change with the changing winds. Love is not an emotion. It doesn't behave the way emotions do. Real love is in a category on its own. So that's that's what Carla McLaren says. I think that is spot on. Love isn't the same as emotion. Yet, this is the dominant understanding of love that we have in our culture. And it's no wonder, if that is the case, that we get tangled and lost in, in, in our world if we don't even know what love at least primarily is. So obviously I'm going to say love does certainly involve feelings, affection, attraction, a desire to care for someone, and so on. And you'll definitely hear me in, in what I say um, here, you'll hear me talk about feelings, because feelings are important. They're indicators of, of deeper realities. In fact, I think emotions like these, like affection or attraction, or, you know, this desire that love incites. These emotions are amazing because they are signals of love. But the feelings themselves aren't love itself. Because love is something transcendent. Love itself, at least in its realist, purest form, is something other than emotional connection, even if it is something that is at the root of true emotional connection. Love is not empathy, but more like a kind of grounding of empathy, the ground of reason, truth, and beauty even. Even if you disagree with me on this point, by which I, you're totally welcome <laughs> to do, and in fact some of you are probably already wondering what I've been smoking, but may, maybe you'll stick around uh, just to find out why I think there are better ways to understand love. Before I get to that though, I do want to um, answer this basic question, which you may be asking, but anyway, it's certainly a question I asked myself. Why am I even discussing this subject? Apart from the fact that it's inherently interesting, uh, one of the reasons we might want to better understand the meaning of love or the nature of love is, at least as I see it, we would then be better equipped to recognize what love looks like in practice and not just in theory. And then I think we'd also be better equipped to love better. We'd also, I think, be more powerful critics of ideology. I mean, this is obviously a sub-sub-aim, but it's helpful to know that we may see what's happening in culture a lot clearer because love these days has become an ideological category. And at least part of my aim here is to reclaim love not just as an ideological category, as a function of some kind of dominant ideology, but as a transcendental thing, something that um, transcends all cultures everywhere. So let's first look, um, albeit extremely briefly, at the centrality of love 
to the Christian tradition, or at least in the Jewish tradition that leads up to the Christian tradition. Um, back in the first century BC, the Talmud tells us, a Gentile came to the great Rabbi Shammai, saying that he would convert to Judaism if Shammai could teach him the whole Torah in the time it took to stand on one foot. Shammai was not known for being particularly warm and fuzzy, and so what he did was he drove the poor Gentile away with a builder's measuring stick. Um, the same Gentile then asked Rabbi Hillel the same thing, and, and Hillel converted the Gentile by telling him this, That which is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, the rest is commentary. Go and study it. How's that for a brilliant, <laughs> just such a brilliant summary? And of course, this is, uh, Hillel is actually refer referring to a verse, um, it's kind of his paraphrase of a verse in Leviticus 19, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's also an idea, by the way, that, that became central in the teachings of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus would have been aware of the teachings of Hillel. They were part of the culture. So first, we know it in Jesus' teachings as the golden rule. Uh, Jesus states it as, as in the positive form. Um, and then in the second way, we see it in the double commandment to love God and neighbor, uh, which is taken from the Torah. And then very importantly, in in the early Christian tradition, there's this idea in the first letter of John that says God is love, which I think, sadly, gets reduced very, very easily to this idea that God is a kind of sentiment or God is some deep emotional response to something or other. God is a, a kind of emotional fluctuation, uh, which is so, I mean, clearly problematic when I say it like that, but I, I think a lot of people have this idea of like love being this kind of emotional field. And of course, um, what I have to say here is that attributing emotion to God suggests a before and an after in God. And it's it also then creates all kinds of problems for the basic idea that transcendence is essentially timeless. but. I'm not going to go into the details of that now. It it raises all sorts of questions. Um, so here is where I think we should really start when, when we're looking at the subject of what love is. Love is first and foremost the affirmation of being. Joseph Pieper in his essay on love says that love is above all what makes be. Love, my friend Trevor says this, is, is that which calls things into existence. You could say that it makes sense that God is love because it would then be in the very nature of love to create, to call into being, to let things be. The first word of love may be, let there be light, because love makes existence possible. This, as I see it, is, is why it is literally true to say that love makes the world go round. Love, in fact, makes the universe exist. Love calls the world into existence and su sustains its existence. And in fact, all existence is sustained by love. Love is the affirmation of the existence of rocks and eggs and trees and LSD and cars and lions and everything exists. The stuff you like and the stuff you don't like, I'm afraid, 
Everything exists and is called into being by love. Things clearly don't always manage to live in accordance with that affirmation. And as such, will tend towards non-being and non-existence. And I think that's where things get problematic. But it is love that gets existence to be existence. So what this means for me, just kind of taking this idea a little bit further, is that when we love, when we ourselves are engaged in love, we channel this affirmation of being. We affirm the the existence of others. So in in a sense, it's not that far-fetched to say that to love someone and to love ice cream are the same, it's the same kind of love, because in some sense, both of those affirm the existence of of that particular subject, the the subject of ice cream or the subject of, of that particular person, although love will necessarily affirm the thing as itself. It doesn't equate, like, it doesn't say that ice cream is as valuable as people, which I know is probably going disappoint, to disappoint a few people who really love ice cream. So, so the lover is someone who refuses to accept the possibility of the universe without the beloved. You could say that love is a protest against death and non-existence, which is such an awesome idea. To love is to protest against death. When you are loved, you will see this most clearly. You feel like you have room to be, to just be yourself, to, to be you. You feel, and you'll notice here, I'm using the word feel, feelings are important. You'll feel that you matter, that your life matters. You know it too, in, at this really deep, profoundly deep level. You'll know it just as you are known. And this is at a level that is beneath and, and sort of supporting and, and eradicating and transcending all emotional fluctuations. To be loved is to feel like you are irreplaceable. And to love someone is to know that they are irreplaceable. Now, there's something Chesterton says about love. He says that love to, to love something is to know that it may be lost. Um, but it's obviously... Uh, His point is that we cherish the fact that it is not lost. And I know, you know, when I say all of this, it probably may sound a bit mystical. And that's because it is. Uh, That's generally how truth sounds. Truth always has a kind of mystical dimension to it. By the way, all of this is why the opposite of love is not really hatred. Hatred could lead to that, but it's not hatred per se. The opposite of love is indifference. Non-love is evidenced by an absence of care, by apathy, by uninvolvement. And non-love is, is not moved to action or emotion because non-love is at root the negation of existence. Another ancient way of understanding love is from the classical, classical philosopher Aristotle who claims that, that love is what wishes the good of the other. And I think this is, this is not a bad start, but I think it's putting uh, the idea too weakly. And if I recall correctly, um, the, the philosopher Thomas Aquinas also critiqued Aristotle's view on this front. After all, uh, you can wish others well without necessarily taking steps to ensure that they are well, uh, without ensuring their well-being. But still, the basic idea 
of wanting good for the other, I think is it's spot on. Love acts more than anything with the intention to contribute to making the other whole. And this will involve multiple dimensions of human existence, but that, that core intention is, is rooted in love. So the key thing here is that love is a verb. It's a doing word and not just a name. It's not just a word that people uh, fling around. I mean, it is. That's how it's used. But true love, real love, is, is not just that. I'm not saying, by the way, that, that words don't matter. Um, if I believed that, I wouldn't write books and teach and have a podcast. I, I do see words as being incredibly capable of affirming existence. I think words can be acts of love. Um, so, of course, words are important, but their meaning exists within a total framework of being and action. Maybe I'm going to come across as being a little bit too prescriptive here, but I feel something needs to be said along these kind of practical lines. If, for instance, you are in a relationship and you're being abused, well, the typical textbook case of abusers and abusive situations is that abusers will abuse and then apologize. And they'll say, I love you to the person that they've just been hitting. Well, that's not an affirmation of being because no words can make up for the destruction that those actions have caused. Those who have been abused, whether verbally or physically, lose their self-esteem, their sense of self-worth because of this kind of behavior. And in fact, they lose the sense that their existence should be affirmed. And if there is a, a kind of total situation that causes a person's sense of self-worth to be diminished, uh, that's not a loving situation. That's and an abusive relationship that brings about a kind of harm, well, I would say an abusive relationship in general, that's just, there's no love there. Um, love, true love, will not allow this to, to happen. At the same time, because love takes action for the good of the other, allowing yourself to be abused by the person you love is, in a sense, to be complicit in allowing them to be abusers. And this is probably going to sound like a really weird idea, but I hope you hear the logic um, of it. Generally speaking, it's not love that causes victims of abuse to stay in an unhealthy relationship. It's Stockholm Syndrome, because love wants the other to be whole. And abusers being given space to enact their abuse are not allowed to live towards their own wholeness. Sometimes, or actually most times, the most loving thing a victim can do is leave. This, however, obviously is, I mean, there are countless terrible, complex situations, but victims are often so diminished in their self-esteem, so so unaware of their own value, that they, they do not have the strength to take this sort of step, which is why um, help is is something that those those people should should ask for call the cops you know like or ask a close friend if if you can crash at their place or something sometimes getting out of an unhealthy situation is what will bring the possibility of restoration so sometimes the most loving thing you can do in an unhealthy space is just to step away to reflect on what's going on before you decide what kind of action you need to take I know that 
you know, talking about abuse obviously is a very extreme example, but you can see this sort of thing play out in in fairly subtle ways too. The person, for instance, who who cheats on their partner, well, that's going to be super painful. Um, if obviously if if it is found out, but I think it causes harm at at a deeper level too. It's it's going to be painful because right up front, it's a sign that to that person who cheats, their partner is not being affirmed. They do not affirm the existence of their partner. I I know I probably sound really old fashioned here, which I'm fine with because on matters of love, I am very old fashioned. I mean, I'm most of the stuff I'm talking about here. I'm drawing from like Plato and and uh, Aquinas um, and and commentators on on the the classical tradition. The old things, the tried and tested things, they seem to me to be more often than not the most reliable. And and one of the the old-fashioned things that seems to me to be the test of love is fidelity. Fidelity, of course, is a commitment to affirm the being of the other, even when the emotional buzz fades. I'm talking specifically here about a relationship that seems to be flatlining. So so. Where is love when that's happening? Well, that's obviously not a particularly good or bad thing. It's flatlining. There is no sort of like emotional um, buzz or negative. Maybe it's just sort of stale in a way. Um, What is needed in that kind of situation is a recognition, again, that love is not an emotional thing. Love is an affirmation of the being of the other. You could even think, I mean, I've talked about uh, this idea that love is action. Well, you could even think of this idea that love at its simplest is meeting a need, meeting the need of the other. In this recognition of, of the other, the affirmation of being of the other, which may take the form of meeting the need of that other, love can withstand even boredom. <laughs> love doesn't have to be the the thrill of the chase or the conquest or any other form of instability, because love is what seeks the good of the other, even if feelings for that person are fairly neutral. In fact, authentic love is what can allow you to meet the need of the other without your necessarily having this kind of unstoppable desire to do so. Um, This applies to relationships plagued by heated arguments too. In fact, I know a guy, he tells this story, of how he and his wife had this massive argument on the phone one day. I don't know the con- like all the details um, and don't care to, but um, crazy heated argu- argument. Both were furious with each other. And this guy, he tells the story that he was on the way home and he felt this overwhelming sense of anger and frustration. And he wanted to go home to tell his wife how unbelievably wrong and stupid she was. But this guy felt this strange nudge in him. And the nudge was a tiny thought that said, why don't you go and buy your wife flowers? And so here's the thing, he didn't feel like he wanted to buy flowers for his wife. He didn't even feel like he loved his wife. But he knew on some deeper level that the love that he had for his wife was there, that the emotions that he was feeling were actually clouding his judgment, and that his ego was really getting in the way. So according to 
this deep sense. He decided to act according to this deep sense. And he did the loving thing anyway. He bought his wife flowers. She opened the door and saw him holding flowers when he got home. Can you imagine how differently that conversation went after his wife saw those flowers? In fact, it's, it's not impossible to guess that those flowers may have saved the guy's marriage because love does what is best for the other. It affirms the being of the other, even when emotion says otherwise. Along these lines, by the way, while we're talking a bit about emotion, I may have mentioned this idea before, but it is such a crucial one. Emotions are data. They are not directions. They, they do tell us how we're feeling. And we need to pay attention to that and try and figure out what is bringing that feeling up for ourselves. But emotions do not necessarily tell us what is true or real or what is loving. They do not tell us how we must act. There is, in fact, I, I think a, a gap between stimulus and response in emotion where we can actually decide how to, how to respond, how to act. Love is what transcends emotion and pulls us back to the reality of affirming the existence of the other in its fullest way. Um, this is not about faking it. I mean, when you hear the story about the guy who bought his wife flowers when he didn't want to, maybe you think, but that's not being authentic. Well, why is the fleeting emotion the authentic thing to do and not some sort of deeper ground? What love is, is it's trying to get us beyond the temporary thing and help us to arrive at something that's going to last longer. Here's the other thing to bear in mind. Love is not blind. <laughs> it's, it's said so often in culture. I mean, we, we may even start to believe it. Oh, love is blind. It's not. I mean, love at first sight is basically this instantaneous connection, and it relies most times on a profound forgetting or an unawareness of the flaws of the target of that love, the beloved. Um, target is probably a bit too warlike a, a metaphor, but... So so love at first sight does happen, um, and it's instant. And so in some sense, you might think, well, that love is blind. People who fall in love at first sight literally have no idea what they're getting into, which suggests not that love is blind, but a deeper truth about love, that it's the, the classical notion of eros, that love, even when it knows in part, is always reaching out for the whole. Love at first sight sees part of that person, sees their, their beauty or some charm or something about them that is just amazing, that speaks to them. But that love, that eros, wants the whole person, wants even their deepest, even their problems, even their issues. And so a couple who falls in love instantly or a friendship that is sparked immediately is sustained, not when the details are overlooked, but when the details are brought into focus by the deepening of that original love. So it's love calls us into depth, but love definitely calls us into truth. It's not trying to force us into evading things and, and uh, into dwelling at the level of pure sentiment. So as I said, Love is not blind. Love is what sees profoundly, profoundly clearly. I know I am loved, for instance, when I am loved with my flaws, not just despite them. Because if anyone wants me to be whole, they want me to be whole because I'm not whole. 
But love is what holds me now in my brokenness, and it is what sustains me as I work towards fullness. Love is, you could even say it's the guiding energy that calls us into a fuller, truer life. This accepting of flaws doesn't mean that love makes excuses. And I think this is something that's also become kind of commonplace in culture, that to be in love is to make excuses for the other. By the way, if you ever see people make excuses constantly for their partner, you know they've got so much work to do because they're trying to basically say that that bit about their partner, just don't pay attention to that. That's not real. In fact, love doesn't make excuses. It's the Making excuses is the last thing that love does. Love is Love is often understood as something that overlooks the flaws of the beloved. There's this famous line from an old movie that says, love means never having to say you're sorry. Well, I mean, what? <laughs> That's so stupid. It's, it's not love. Whatever it is that never says sorry is, is not love. So another key idea is this. There's a difference between making excuses and forgiving. Love definitely forgives. And it keeps on forgiving and it makes no record of wrongdoing. But forgiveness is precisely possible because it sees what is true. And then it tries to make a way forward to to work through whatever the, the problem is. It does not make excuses. Because love wants the other to be whole, it'll do what is needed to help the other to step towards wholeness. When people start messing uh, with their relationships, and they do this in crazy ways and very subtle ways sometimes, and when they wreak havoc on the lives of those closest to them, when they do things that generate disintegration, you can tell for sure when this happens that love is in crisis. I see people do this all the time and throughout this excuses are offered people did it they'll say because they had a bad day or a bad month or a bad year or because they're too tired or overworked or stressed out of course we are we're all totally human and fallible and we have a lot to deal with in life and there's a lot of that but love is not blind to what is going on it does not avoid the truth So there you have it. Love makes no excuses. It takes responsibility and it definitely takes steps towards forgiveness. But because the other is valuable beyond measure, because that's how love sees them, their harmful actions cannot be excused. All excuses for a lack of love are always somehow saying that a lack of love is okay. And it it really never is. Um, In a way, I think the idea of tough love um, kind of captures the essence of this idea. Sometimes love does difficult things like staging an intervention uh, or leaving an abusive partner or putting up a boundary in a relationship because steps like this are really helpful um, for working towards wholeness. Along these lines, it's good to keep in mind that love isn't just pure unselfishness. As much as as love desires the good of the other, it also always desires what is real, the, the real. And sometimes giving endlessly and unselfishly to the point of 
burnout, um, it's it's really detrimental to people. And I think what people miss in, in that kind of endless, unselfish behavior is also a negation of being. It's a negation of your own being. So it's loving the other at the expense of the self. And this, by the way, is why Jesus says that love needs to be an intention. We, we love others as we love ourselves. So love needs to look not just after the other, but after the relationship itself. And, and love needs to understand that we are embodied and finite and we have limits. We cannot love others, that is, we cannot affirm the being of others when we are incapable of affirming the beauty and truth of our own being. I know I've said a lot here and it's it's a lot to take in. It's a lot for me to take in as well. I'm I'm also still grappling with the subject. So these are just some provisional thoughts that I found uh, I have found helpful and hopefully you find them helpful too. Um and I know I I said this already um I need more time and more space to cover the subject in any depth. So what I'm going to do instead of like going on forever is that I'm going to leave you with a thought. And then I'm going to read what is arguably the most beautiful thing written on love. So, the thought is this. By being the affirmation of being, love is also the affirmation of meaning. People who feel like life is meaningless are probably in a terrible state of being bad lovers, although obviously being badly loved may also produce that same result. I know that people who struggle with chronic depression will also feel like life is meaningless, and I hope those people get the help that they need. And I know that part of the reason for this is is that they don't know that they can love themselves, and, and they don't know how to affirm their own existences. And for a lot of people, that it takes a lot of work to get there. But the core thing here is to remember that it is possible. And also, it is love that makes life meaningful. If if you are not loving well, there is a chance that you're going to feel like your life is empty. Love is, is what helps us to discover meaning within existence. And this is not necessarily something you're, you're going to find easy to articulate if you experience it, because often there's the sense that life is meaningful is just that. It's, it's a sense. It's... Um, it's a sense of a surplus of meaning. And when there's too much meaning, you, you kind of don't know what to say with it. Uh, love makes our cups run over. And so with that thought, I want to uh, read you 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 13. Uh, St. Paul writes these words. And by the way, just for fun, uh, I decided to translate this from the Latin Vulgate, but my Latin is a bit rusty, so... <laughs> So I'm pretty sure there are inaccuracies. This is a pretty loose translation. So here we go. If I speak the languages of people and angels, but don't have love, I reduce myself to sounding like a dissonant gong. If I prophesy and comprehend all kinds of mysteries and all kinds of new knowledge, and even if I possess faith enough to shift mountains, but still have no love, I negate my own existence. If I distribute everything I have to the poor and hand my body over to hardship so that I can brag about it, but if I don't have love, I profit nothing. Love is patient and kind. 
It doesn't want what others have. It is not self-inflating or arrogant. It is not overly ambitious or irritable or easily angered. It, it doesn't put others down. It forgives, keeping no record of wrongdoing. Love does not think evil and privation, but delights in the truth. It is sustained always, trusts always, hopes always, and always perseveres. Love never dies. Prophecies will end, languages will stop being spoken, and knowledge will cease. We all know in part, prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, the partial will disappear. When I was a child, I spoke like one and figured things out like one, but when I grew up, I outgrew my childish ways. I still see the world as if it is a reflection in a mirror, but I know that fuller knowledge awaits me. I still have a partial perspective, but love presents an expectation. I will know fully as I am fully known by love. Now three things are permanent, faith, hope, love, three things, but the chief among these is love.